Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the CAAV podcast. As valuers, one of our most important skills is our ability to negotiate. Whether that's negotiating a land or property sale, compensation settlement, a rent review, access rights or contractual matters. We need to be effective negotiators and influencers. And joining me today is Lynn Thomas, also known professionally as Lynn Robson from True Potential Training, a negotiation and communication training expert. Uh, well, welcome, Lynn. Great to have you joining us on this podcast episode. Um, before we dive in to talk about the core skills needed to be effective negotiators and influencers. Tell us a bit about your background and your work. Good morning, Alan. Thank you very much indeed. What a very nice introduction. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me onto your podcast today. So I have uh, had 17 years experience as an employed professional negotiator and influencer of a large international multicultural company. Um, I've um, had a very big checkbook with a very big pen for 17 years, and so I've certainly walked the talk. But what was really fascinating was when I actually had my own shop, which was actually just one shop and I had a small checkbook and a small pen. It was definitely more influencing that I needed. So uh, that's a bit about my work history. And then I moved into, into negotiation influence being a trainer and coach. And so I've certainly got the experience and I've got a few uh, battle scars, maybe, and a few war stories as well. So I'm a big, big believer if you're actually training uh, somebody else, you need to have some depth of knowledge and uh, you need to have had the experience as well. It certainly gives you a lot more credibility when you've got some uh, first-hand experiences of uh, when things have gone well and possibly when things haven't gone quite so well. And we'll we'll come on to some examples and scenarios uh, later on in this podcast. But let's start off with some of the basics and some of the definitions. We think we know what negotiation means. We think we know what influencing means. But tell us a bit more about you know the, the strict definition and your interpretation of those two two words. Great, thank you. So, well, I would say that influence is actually the power to persuade another person to agree with you uh, and move in your direction more because they want to, not because they have to. So even if you have got the power card, it's much better to actually influence somebody to want to come in your direction uh, so that they're more committed to that decision. And if you're a really good influencer, that person goes away actually even thinking it's their decision. Uh, which makes it even more powerful. So and negotiation is much more a process. It's a discussion aimed at reaching an agreement with people um, who have aims and intentions, um, and so do you. So it's more of a process. So it's very obvious when we're negotiating. And one question I always like to ask my delegates is when you're influencing, are you negotiating? And they pause for a moment. And I like to say, when we're influencing, we're not necessarily negotiating at all. But one thing is, if you're when you're negotiating, are you influencing? And of course, the answer is definitely yes. One eye movement, one sharp intake of breath will influence the negotiation. So we really need to be very self-aware. 
So, so they're very closely aligned, and people might think that they're they're two words to explain the same thing, but they're slightly subtle differences in in the approaches you take when you're trying to influence someone or negotiate or or use both skill sets to to, to reach that end position and that outcome you want. Um, critical to your ability and how effective you are in both influencing and negotiating is communication, the way you deliver a message, the way you build a rapport with the people you're dealing with. Now, tell us a bit more about the different ways of communicating and how effective they can be. Absolutely. I think it's such a good um, thought, really, is to think about all the different methods of communicating and not getting into a default mode. Often when we get into you know, more experience, we get into habits and we're not really thinking about what we're doing. We're getting into a default mode. And you're quite right. Communication is so complex because we're dealing with humans and you know, we meet somebody for one time and you know, we get on really well with them. And then they still, we meet them another time and it's like we're you know, meeting a completely different person. So communication is highly complex. And so when we're meeting someone face to face, We've got all our senses um, in full, active, you know, sort of alert, really. We're just checking all the senses, the body language, the, uh, the voice, the pitch and tone and the words. And we make a very uh, quick first impression um, or even a bad word judgment about someone. We see somebody face to face, but we do have the whole gambit, so to speak, that we can see everything and we can communicate much more clearly and have a two-way conversation. As you say, and we're talking about conversations on the telephone, we've got a huge amount missing. There's some research saying it's over 50% of how we communicate missing is missing. So the pitch and tone becomes much more important, maybe, maybe 80% on the pitch and tone. And of course, then the dreaded email, which of course has so many advantages, but so many disadvantages as well. So many ways that we communicate are missing and so much can be misinterpreted. So you're writing it in one frame of mind with one pitch and tone, and the receiver receives it in a completely different way. And we have something called the ladder of inference, which means you know, lots of really bad words, but we've sort of put it through a filter. We listen to it and we make our own conclusions. And uh, as we know, punctuation saves lives. Let's eat grandma or let's eat comma grandma. It makes a big difference. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, I mean, communication and not just really to, just to bash out a quick email without really thinking about what is the purpose of the email, what is the objective and what is the process. It's a little acronym called POP, which I find really helpful when we're thinking about writing an email and using a combination of communications. So maybe having a telephone call and follow it up with an email or an email following it up with a telephone call. Uh, and of course, a face to face, you can't beat a face foot to face, as you say, with rapport building, uh, even on Teams or Zoom, it's not quite the same as actually meeting the person face to face. So I think we have to be really vigilant and think about our communication methods. And it's really interesting, one of the points you made earlier about um, sometimes when we meet people uh, in different scenarios, we might think we're meeting different people. Um, and I can think of examples where I've been communicating with somebody over email, then I meet them face to face and they, they can come across as very different people. Sometimes it's very easy to be very harsh and direct over an email. That partly by, might be my interpretation of the message. Uh, and when you meet them face to face, it can be a slightly different experience. Uh, have you come across that? Oh, very 
very, very much so. Very much so indeed. And we can make this sort of picture of somebody, can't we? And uh, you get a real surprise uh, sometimes on the upside and sometimes on the downside when we meet them face to face. And of course, the other thing to remember, Alid, is that actually our first impressions aren't actually only in the first meeting or the first correspondence. It could be actually through reputation or word of mouth from somebody else. And that also our thoughts affect our feelings, which affect our behavior. And then we must remember that our behavior then affects somebody else's thoughts, which affects somebody else's feelings, which affects somebody else's behavior. And, uh, and so we can get into this sort of spiral, but you're quite right. When we meet someone, uh, we can be really surprised that they're so different. And for valuers, very often um, the way they communicate formally and negotiate formally is in, in written form, i.e. formal letters and emails. And w- when that occurs, there's, as you say, a lot of um, communication tools missing. Does that place then more emphasis on the importance of using the right choice of words? Can you create the right tone within a letter and email? Yes, you can certainly influence it by really being aware of and rereading, even actually getting somebody else to read it if it's a really essential one, just making sure certainly that if we're responding to another email, uh, we must make sure we're not responding in any emotional way, certainly not uh, responding in anger. And uh, and so, yes, absolutely. We must be care- really careful of, say, for example, uh, the why, the why word. Because if you've got some pitch and tone, I say, oh, Alan, you know, why did you do that? You can still see that I'm being inquisitive and being interested. But of course, it, why word can also feel like you're backing somebody into a corner. Why did you do that? And of course, we don't have the pitch and tone uh, to sort of, uh, show that. And so someone could actually totally miscommunicate it. Um, we also have to think of some of the choice words like unfortunately or using, using the word problems. You know, these are sort of negative words and we want to frame in a more positive way. So we, des- very, we do have to be very careful um, of how that communication is coming across. And it, of course, it does depend on the mood of the person that's receiving it as well. Yeah, I, I remember somebody telling me once that he that he really didn't like the word problem. Uh, he'd much prefer to say there's no such thing as a problem, only solutions waiting to happen. So it's the way you frame it. But but Lynn, let's let's look now at the core skills. What would you say are the core skills you need to be an effective negotiator and influencer? We've talked a little bit about a communication. What are the core skills? How would you def- how would you summarize them? So, I mean, there's so many, but they're often transferable skills that we don't actually realize that we have and we're using. And they're all skills that we can hone and improve on. So I've just made a little sort of thought about a few of the key ones. And I would say sort of empathy, empathy, putting yourself in someone else's shoes is key. Seeing it from their perspective, their paradigm. And I think it's really important to, to think about there's two types of empathy. One is an emotional empathy. Uh, where we're sort of uh, thinking about their side, but with a lot of emotion, uh, which is called warm empathy. There's also something called cold empathy, which is more logical. And it's so important to have that logical empathy that we're actually thinking about from their perspective. What's in it for them? What do they need to achieve? So that's one of the uh, the core skills. I would say preparation as well. Uh, the, The good old line, fail to plan, plan to fail. And not only plan 
before the negotiation um, or even the influence, even the phone call or the influencing, but also to review. I think it's so important that we review our performance and you know think about um, thinking about sort of what went well. We learn a huge amount from what goes well, but we actually learn even more from what goes wrong. And as we know, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over again, expect a different result. So we really want to think about what were the lessons learned and then review that. And then you have this process of continuously learning. So you'll always keep improving and honing your skills. So I think that's a key one. Um, another one would be questioning skills. I'm sure, Alad, in your uh, experience as well, you've seen people who hold court, who hold fort kind of thing. They, they say do all the talking. And I actually think the key is asking all the right questions. And uh, I don't know if what your thoughts are about that is to gather information. And as we know, so information gives us knowledge, knowledge gives us power, and power therefore helps us to you know, understand their problem and solve the problem. We shouldn't call them problems, but you know, these challenges that we have, the more information that we gather, the more power we have. And I was just going to say the other one would be sort of listening. Of course, if we ask a question, uh, we have to remember to listen. And uh, often we have a situation where we just take turns in talking. And, uh, and so, you know, we sort of think, what am I going to say next? Why are they so angry? We've got our internal chatter going through there. So a great line is, don't be, interest, uh, don't be interesting, be interested gather that information yeah that's such a good line and very often valuers will will find themselves in a position where they're um, negotiating over something like i said at the beginning it could be a compensation settlement it could be a land transaction it could be a rent review uh, and you're negotiating against a fellow professional and you've got your position uh, your opposing value or agent has got their position how do you start bridging the gap? Clearly, there is some common ground. You want to reach a conclusion. You want to reach a settlement in whatever matter that is. What are the techniques you would uh, use to try and bring those two positions closer to, 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 um, to a solution, potentially? So I think the, the one of the big ones that I, I really like is the um, a quote, really, from Stephen Covey from his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he says, start with the end in mind. And I think that's so important. Be strategic and really have the focus of what you need to get, what, what is uh, your, um, your concession strategy, etc. But also be flexible. And I think it's so important that you know, we have emotional intelligence. I think that's another of the core skills is actually the ability to control your emotions. And you know, so we have our three Fs, our natural three Fs, uh, fight, flight or freeze. And I think it's so important that we don't uh, go into our natural response, that we stay assertive. So to bridge the gap, I think it's about, as you mentioned earlier, it's about the importance of building rapport. And I think, unfortunately, you know, that is actually something that's certainly been lost, certainly through the pandemic, is that people have been jumping onto uh, Teams meetings quickly or Zoom meetings or just sending emails and not spending the time Get building up rapport. So I think that's a, a key one for me. And, and some people think that's the fluffy bit, that's the waste of time. But what it does, it, it actually lowers any barriers and builds up the trust. And, and you know yourself, you know, without trust, we're going to be not going to be able to be collaborative 
and working closely together. So we want to build, you know, we want to have this synergistic effect where we're greater than in the individual part. We want to bridge the gap together uh, by adding value. And I think that's so important is that we look to, and sometimes we need to even accommodate, you know, see if we're, what we can do to accommodate the other person. I know that sounds really counterintuitive, but sometimes we need to help them to achieve what they need to get so they can help us achieve what we need to get. And I think it's uh, very important that we try and work together to bridge the gap and create value. Yeah, it's always key to try and work out a way in which both sides feel they've had a, a win-win uh, outcome to, to the negotiation. Um, but occasionally, negotiations can become contentious. Um, there could be some difficult conversations to be had. How can you take the heat out of a situation and how would you deal with potential conflict when negotiations break down? Yes, well, I think, you know, you're right. And we have to we have to be that there's no heat. There's no fire without some fuel, Hallard. And uh, it takes sort of and sometimes we point our finger, not not actually physically, but mentally at somebody else. But we have to remember that we have always got a choice and uh, we have, you know, we have emotional intelligence. Uh, we don't have to engage with that heat. Uh, we can choose actually just to be assertive. And I would say the a couple of tips there for myself, my own advice would be, don't think, take things personally. No, the person is frustrated or annoyed with the situation or maybe at your position, but not at you personally. So I think that's my biggest tip is, you know, so don't take things personally. Um, and then you won't go into a fight or flight or freeze situation. Um, sometimes we have to agree to disagree. And I think that's a really important point that sometimes we can't always agree. And we do spend a lot of our time trying to prove ourselves right and the other person wrong. And it's not actually so black and white as that. It's not right or wrong. It's just different. Um, the other one, of course, is don't get personal yourself. I think that's a really good point there. Don't don't put any grenades into the negotiation um, and uh, you know, don't become personal yourself. And uh, know your own triggers. Uh, remember that people will use tactics and techniques on you. I actually trained 35 of them, but actually not always to use them. In fact, actually rarely to use them for how to counteract them. Know that they're only tactics. And if you become emotional, then they've won. So I always see it that the more tactics they're throwing at me, uh, the more that maybe they're in a weaker position. So um, give people options and choices. I think that's so important, you know, that to avoid backing somebody into a corner. So important when you're negotiating, say, in the Far East, but anywhere, is that, you know, people you know, are allowed to what we call save face, save respect. And so try and give them some options and choices so they have um, some control over them. So I would say this, uh, that are you know, some of my suggestions, but, but certainly be aware of your own triggers. Or what I like to think of some Achilles heels uh, that uh, so you don't get you can't get triggered or you, you can control them. I suppose the last one I would say is, you know, we have to be so careful with our body language and just like some um, aggressive gestures that can cause heat, like pointing the finger would actually certainly be a trigger. Uh, by, but also very interesting, actually, are you statements. 
And it's, I find that really fascinating because I don't sound very aggressive. But when we receive you statements, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. The problem is with you. And actually, it becomes like they're backing somebody in the corner. And like any wild animal, the person's going to fight back. So I'd say sort of uh, put your Teflon spray on, non-stick spray. Don't allow it. Don't allow it to get heated. That's, I think that's my best advice. <laughs> and I like that image of putting your Teflon spray on to put you a layer of protection to so make sure you don't uh, uh, react to, to, to some of the, uh, the difficult um, scenarios and situations you might find yourself in. And sometimes I feel that um, valuers can find themselves in a position where they're negotiating and influencing in two different directions. And what I mean by that is clearly you're negotiating against your opposing valuer or agent or professional or solicitor, whatever it is, um, with regards to that particular situation. Um, but also you're managing the expectations of your client and you're trying to negotiate and influence them to a certain extent. Have you got any advice on how you would do both effectively? Yes, I think you hit it at the nail on the head, actually, Alan, to be quite truthful, is manage expectations. You really need to under-promise and, under, under and over-deliver. You really, really need to make sure that your client is, and you have what I'd like to call them actually not difficult conversations, but actually constructive conversations. Because if we, uh, so if we're talking about difficult conversations, uh, we're changing our mindset towards them. Our subconscious is seeing them in a different way. So I think that is the key point, is managing the expectations uh, of the client. Don't box yourself into a corner. Uh, and of course, you don't want to over-negotiate uh, with, your, with your, if the other valuer, because remember, there's always another day. And we need to you know, make sure that the, the deal works. And if we over-negotiate, uh, then we create, as you mentioned before, we don't create a win-win, we create a win-lose. We've wait, maybe won the battle, but we've lost the war. And, uh, and so we really have to think about that there's always another day. And we also want to find, when we get into this situation, we want to think of the interest behind the position. You know, as you said, you know, when we become positional, uh, we we can get into a stalemate situation. So if we act by asking questions, find the interests behind the position, we can start really sort of managing the negotiation a lot better. So um, it is really uh, so. And again, also, why do they need a certain aspect? Uh, why you need a certain point or a, a certain concession? And, and a great book actually by Simon Sinek. Uh, he has a lot of uh, podcasts. He also does a lot of on YouTube and TED Talks. He often talks about start with why. He has a book called Start with Why, and uh, I think that is um, you know also you know, really important as we we start with the why, the reason, and then move into the more the how and the what. So I think that the main point is managing the expectations and working closely together and collaboratively. Uh, and take the emotion out of it. I think that is so important as well, because when you're, rep you know, the, the person that you're representing uh, could be very emotional about the situation and we need to make, put them into a logical frame of mind. And everybody will adopt a, a different style depending on you know your, your personality and your character and, and, and the way you are. We're all different. Um, have you worked with organisations where 
key personnel have done personality profiling to help them have a better understanding of themselves, but also how they might be perceived by others. This is so fascinating. I love this area of my work, actually. It's so, it is so fascinating because not only uh, is it important that we understand somebody else's personality a little bit more, but actually that we understand ourselves a little bit more. I like to think of this situation of where we're going into our helicopter or an out-of-body experience or seeing ourselves from sort of the outside in. And uh, the profile still shows us where we have our areas of least preference. It shows us some blind spots that we might have. And as you say, you know, we, we also get frustrated with people who have a completely different preference. And remember, these profiles are just preferences. Uh, they're not competencies. So uh, as you say, you know, if somebody is, um, you're dealing with someone who is very logical and maybe you're not so logical, then, you know, we can appear uh, to be, say, if I'm not the logical person so much, we can feel, you know, appear to be a little bit fluffy around the edges if we don't have all the facts and the figures. Uh, and so if you're dealing or negotiating with someone who's very logical, uh, we uh, we need to sort of up our game on those areas and get our facts and figures together. Um, at the same time, if someone is very logical, they might forget to build the rapport with somebody. And so, again, it's so important to know, as I say, our preferences, but also know where our blind spots are. And, you know, when we're negotiating, it's so important that we cover all the key areas because it's not just about the person that we are negotiating with. But we also have to think, who are they reporting to? And are they a different personality profile? So if we plan and prepare our negotiation, making sure we cover all the aspects of different personalities, all the, the key points, then we've done a really good. And we shorten the negotiation process because we're well prepared. But of course, we can have clashes with people who are exactly the same as us. And of course, that's fascinating as well. So if you get two very logical people, they can drown in the detail. They can both prove their point. Uh, and of course, if you get two people that are very much into this, of uh, like to be in control, you can imagine that we end up with a conflict and we end up with a conflict as well. So I think it just helps having an understanding of different styles and to remember that they're not right or wrong. They're just different. And when do you know that it's best to walk away from a negotiation? If things are getting very difficult you might be dealing with somebody that's very similar to you and and, and as you said that can sometimes um, bring about some degree of conflict and tension when do you know that this is not going to go anywhere it's the, the best solution is to walk away so I think that is a key point in your preparation actually is to prepare your figures prepare your scenarios prepare your concession strategy have a really clear picture of what we call a ZOPAR, which is a zone of possible agreement. So you know your aspiration point, which is the price that like, you want. You know your real base, which is your walk away point. And then also, I know it's overused this term, but think outside the box a bit by you know, not just being so focused, say, on price, but you know, the, whole, the whole gambit, the whole value situation. And so we need to know something called a BATNA, which is our best alternative to no agreement. So as you know, uh, you know the more options and choices you have, uh, then you know, the more power you have. 
So we need to create some batteners before we go in. And of course, what people do forget is we need to sort of think, what are the batteners for the other side? Are they in a strong position as well? And of course, there's something called a Watner, which is the worst alternative to no agreement. So we really need to ascertain that. Uh, so we need to do our preparation so we know, so we don't get carried away with any emotion, uh, in, as you said, in the heat in the, of the moment. And we also um, need to remember there's always another day. Uh, and so now maybe we don't have to do a sort of walk out in a fit of peak at some dramatic exit. But sometimes it's just good to postpone or, or sort of just to create control and actually sort of maybe just ask or get some more information, for example. Uh, and so we can think a little bit more creatively. When we're in a situation where we feel we're being backed into a corner, uh, we're in a fight, flight or freeze situation, it's very hard to use a part of our brain which is more creative. And, and so I think that's really important is to be able to take control and, and just even if it's just a, to postpone uh, the negotiation um, until a further time. So the novice ex a negotiation, um, so the novice negotiator expects to hear yes, but the professional negotiator plans to uh, and uh, expects to hear no. So I think we need to sort of plan for that um, and know your, know your figures, know the situation. But as I say, take control of it and remember, you know, not to not to do anything dramatic. Don't take it personally, uh, but um, try and see if you can just uh, give yourself a bit of time just to think. It's nothing nothing worse than making a quick decision or, you know, walking away from the table. And you realize you've left some value on the table there or an opportunity has been missed. So I think that's my best thoughts on that one. But it is really important to have a walk away point. So you, you know where it is. And have you got any examples or scenarios you could share of when things didn't go quite so well and we can, we can learn from, from that experience? Such a good point. Absolutely. As I said before, we learn a huge amount from what goes right, but we learn even more. We should learn even more uh, when things go wrong. And they do say to do the same thing over again and expect a different result is the um, definition of insanity. So a very quick story. I was in the Far East and uh, I was I was observing somebody who was actually doing everything that I've advised not to do today, doing a lot of talking, not doing a lot of listening, not asking any questions. I think actually even physically pointing the finger, not just uh, verbally. And uh, it was a situation where we had a quality issue and, um, you yeah, know, it was uh, really backing this poor supplier into the corner verbally. And uh, unfortunately, um, this, uh, this supplier was a very important supplier to us, actually. And uh, the supplier just suddenly turned around and said, I never want to do business with you again. And it was just a, sort of one of those moments where it's like a, it's a, you know, a pause in a cartoon where everybody's sort of like, oh, we weren't expecting that. And uh, what had happened was that um, the person involved, the, the buyer, had not done their research correctly. And even though this supply was a very uh, important part of our purchasing, um, we weren't as important to him as we thought. And uh, he had a very big business um, elsewhere. And, uh, and so he actually decided that he didn't want to do business with us. So I think that is a great, it was a great lesson for me to do your research, build rapport, 
know, uh, certainly to have conversations, work collaboratively when there's a problem, and certainly know, you know, sort of how the balance of power is, and certainly don't wag your finger or put somebody in the corner. So that's a just a really quick story of I just I just was thinking about it and just thinking, oh my goodness, that was such a good lesson to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And it touches upon so many things you've you've talked about in this episode, uh, Lynn. But in trying to summarise some of the key points, and you shared so many nuggets of wisdom with us, what would be your top tips um, and the main points you want our listeners to take away from this podcast? Value is they negotiate on a daily basis on various matters. What do you think are the key things they need to remember when they finish listening to this podcast and get on with their work or, or do the next thing? What's what's really important to stick in their minds? So my, my biggest message, actually, don't become complacent. Uh, people who actually are very seasoned negotiators, uh, you know, we get into habits. There's a very good book called Atomic Habits, actually, which I recommend. And they're called TNTs, Tiny Noticeable Things. And as we can imagine, TNT is also an explosive. So, you know, don't become complacent. Um, always prepare, always review what's happened, what's gone well, what hasn't gone so well. How can we do something differently? There's another great book called Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed. And, he's, and he says that, you know, sort of the black box from an aeroplane, they analyze it and they learn from it and put a process in place to avoid it happening again, to break the chain of events. So take the view of being in this situation of conscious competence and, and always think about continuous improvement. As I say, don't become complacent. Um, my other one is have empathy. See the situation not only from your own side, but put yourself in the other person's shoes. Um, and that is so important there, that logical empathy. Like, think like a chess player. Think with start with the end in mind. And get into that helicopter and actually see it from your side, their side, and, and also the helicopter side, which is the objective view. Also, as I said, uh, be strategic, start with the end in mind. What is the purpose, the objective, and the process? It's so important. And remember always there's another day. Uh, don't take things personally. Don't overnote, negotiate. Uh, leave um, the sort of um, be firm but fair and be very self-aware. There's two excellent books that are very different. Uh, I'd like to think, you know, one is called Getting to Yes by Roger Fisher, which is more the logical Harvard approach. And a great book is actually called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And I think that they are sort of very different um, negotiation styles, and it's great to weave in a bit from both. So remember to always um, expect to hear no, and um, that uh, it's not always right. It's not right or wrong, but it's just different. And there's always another day. So I think my biggest advice from my experience is, you know, not to take it personally. Don't make it personal and always leave the door open. You never know when the balance of power changes. You never know when that person is going to pop up in a more strategic, important role. And you don't want to have uh, burned your bridges. You don't want to have ruined that. Um, that sort of situation. If you're going to use, and then if tactics and techniques are used on you, try to overcome them and keep to your strategy. Don't get drawn in. I like to call it the emotional weeds. We talk about the assertiveness triangle. So stay assertive and don't be triggered. Don't take things personally. Well, Lynn Thomas, I've thoroughly enjoyed this podcast conversation. It's been fascinating and, and you've really unearthed some 
very effective tools we can use within the valuers toolbox because uh, we negotiate, we influence on a daily basis. There's so much things we get involved with and I think you're absolutely right to making sure that we conduct ourselves professionally, we prepare, we build trust, we build rapport, but always, always remember there was, there's another, always another day and uh, never burn bridges. I think you've shared some, some true nuggets of wisdom and it feels that we're only just scraping the surface of this topic and we could easily go on for hours talking about various scenarios but uh, Lynn Thomas from True Potential Training. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I thoroughly enjoyed it actually in my first ever podcast. So thank you very much, Alan, for inviting me. And there we are. We've reached the end of yet another episode of the CAAV podcast. If you want to keep up to date with all future episodes or indeed catch up on previous ones, please head to our website or you can subscribe for free on whichever platform you use. Also, if you've got any feedback or ideas for future episodes, please get in touch by sending us an email to inquire at caav.org.uk. But that's it for today. Until the next time, thank you very much for listening and bye for now.